Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, this Fourth uh, of July weekend. We thank you, Lord, for this great nation in which we live, the freedom we enjoy here. Thank you most of all that we belong to you and that our names are written in the book of life. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing that rests on me. Use me, your servant, today, Lord, to, to begin to break the yokes of, of everything that holds anyone in bondage. Here's this message, Lord. Help everyone to be free. Help them to be empowered to live the life you've called them to. Help them to know your love. Help them to be healed everywhere they hurt. Help them to prosper in every way, Lord. And help them to use that information, that anointing, that salvation experience to pass it on to others, Lord. That they might in turn be helped in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans 121. It's been on my heart all week. And so I just want to share that with you and see where we go from there. I'm going to back up, of course, (laughs) to the 16th verse. To get some context here, Romans chapter 1, starting in the 16th verse, and I'm trying to creep toward the 21st verse, and I might stop there, might not. (laughs) But I like what Paul says here, and he's talking about how he's going to preach this gospel to everybody, and that everybody, it's for everybody. And he's sending this letter to the Romans, and he says, even y'all. <laughs> in other words, so, you know, so. Then uh, in the 16th verse, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Amen. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When you see those terms in the, in the New Testament, the Jew was was the ones that God had already made himself known to. So that's why he sent Jesus first to the Jews to offer himself. And they rejected him and he turned to the Gentiles, the unbelievers, you see. And so that's what they're talking about. When they talk about Greeks, they're talking about the Greeks of today would be the the liberal elitists who have educated themselves out of relationship with God because they're smarter than him now, you see. Or he educated him out of existence or something like that. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share, you know, that's how they, they use these terms. But there's a, a place talking about unbelievers, believers, etc. <clears throat> For in it, the gospel, is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed, has been revealed, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. 
in the things that have been made. All you got to do is walk outside on a beautiful day and you know there's a God and you're not Him. He's made Himself known to every single person in this world once they're of age, of course, in some way or another, is what He's saying here. So they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God has made Himself known to everyone. And we, knowing that there is a God and we're not Him, and all of the amazing and wonderful things that we see, that we can see, and some of the things that we know are God but we can't see, even if you're not in a relationship with God, at some point you have to, it should just bring you to your knees and say, God, I need you, whoever you are. I get it. I'm in light. And you're it. That's sort of what I did. I remember calling on him just, I stopped my, I stopped my Harley in the middle of a four-way stop. And I just stopped. And I just looked up and I said, I don't know what else to do. I need you and I don't know what, how to ask or anything. And that, and then I kept going. So it was a few days later when I fell on my knees in my home and I just cried out to him and asked, if you'll come into my home and to my heart today, I'll never ask you to leave. (laughs) Then more official things followed, but I believe that was it right there. You see? That's why I tell people, you can get saved right where you're sitting. But once we know that he's God... And we see all these things. We need to honor Him as God. The world sees themselves as the center of everything. <laughs> you see, everything revolves around the individual in this life, and even the pulpit. They've they've made Christianity. It's like a carrot. You see, You're dangling a carrot here. Come on, it, it, it's gonna, your life's going to be better. God's going to do all these things for you. He's going to fix this and give you that. It's like a heavenly slot machine. Come on. And, you know, the byproduct of the relationship is good. No doubt. But in the end, when the 
the Christian grows up. I mean, when you're a baby Christian, you know, I love to get somebody that's on fire for God and new in the Lord. Hey, pray for me. Because <laughs> God's just showing off for them, you know. <laughs> and, and, and amazing things happen. I remember when he was, I've told y'all about when he was teaching me about grace, the number five. And I was born five, five, sixty-five, the youngest of five. And, and uh, he taught me through the scriptures how five is the number for the grace of God and all that. And I was preaching grace and truth. And, and I was in a setting where they were, they were trying to make me earn my salvation. And I'm like, that's not what God's telling me. You know, every time they'd preach something, I'd run back to God and he'd straighten it out. And I'm like, Lord, what I do? I was called to a Bible study for our church to go, go minister to them about revelations. And they were some... Uh, brimstone and fire and brimstone folks and I was praying oh, Lord what do I do I know this ain't going to be received well and I tell them what revelation is good news for the Christian <laughs> and across in front of me at the at the light Tavana was with me and I'm uh, we'd been talking about it and I'm like what, what am I going to do I, the Lord's leading me into grace in every way and a, and a suburban drives by Right in front of us, we're sitting at the light, and they had, you know how kids paint with the shoe polish in the windows for team events? It says, go, Will, number five. <laughs> and and for for several months, everywhere I went, I'd step on a $5 bill. Never found a $5 bill in my life. And I, it got so common, I just started picking them up. I said, well, it's not in, nothing that can be earned, and it's just to be given away. I'm supposed to spend all the grace God gives me every day and not worry about the next. And I start picking them up, and I'd look for the first person God showed me, and I'd go say, here you go. <laughs> the last one I remember was in HEB, and I found that, you know, one of the, one of the stock, stock, what do you call them now? We used to be stalkers. I don't know. Grocery sackers or whatever. I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> but <laughs> I I do know the message, and that is that we need to honor God, and that the world has not honored God. And and you see, <clears throat> they continue. You see, the Bible points out time and time again that it's not a one-time thing. God continues to try, but we, we, our, our, it says their, their, their foolish hearts were darkened, get hard hearted toward God, you see. And the more you resist, the more you, you shove Him away, the more you wax cold, right? And the thicker that wax gets, the deeper the insulator between you and God. And then what happens is you begin to seek out people who agree with you. Your itching ears find teachers that will tell you what you want to hear, what the Bible says. Not you, but just talking in general. But what they need to know is that God is good and that He loves them and that the biggest, bigger problem I have, well, it's a balancing act, really, of, and they're both negatives, but you have people that have built their lives around lies for so long that they're to the point that I, these are some things I can't give up now and I'm so deeply entrenched 
and this lifestyle or this relationship or whatever that now I, it's impossible for me to go back. I've already made my bed. I'm just going to lie in it. And, and they feel like they'll be a hypocrite if they don't or they'll suffer loss, you see. And then there are others that a lot of people that feel like they're not worthy. They have to get cleaned up before they can come take a bath, you see. <laughs> and now I get a lot of that too. But none of that is real. Because, see, the war is really over with God and man. And this is important for people to know because they're not hearing it um, in large part. Um, with all the things that are going on, I see things and I hear things from even from ministers. They, they started off, a lot of them, in, uh, in, in grace and truth, new covenant belief. But now, <clears throat> I... I, I have even ministered friends and love them, God bless them, but that I find them ministering out of their own bitterness and their own wants, their own issues, you see. And when you, when you start going down that road, you start using God as a tool, an instrument to do your will, you see, to... To right all the wrongs in your life. And your past. And when you're coming from a place of bitterness and unforgiveness. You're never going to perceive the true love of God. The anointing of God will die. I mean it will stay away from you. Because then you wax cold you see. Because what you're doing. You're you're saying God. But you're really trying to be God. And, And it doesn't work. It won't work. Examples. We've all heard of the. Remember the, the great minister from Baton Rouge, who at one he plays piano. His cousin was a famous great balls of fire. I just don't want to say a name. God bless him. But he he had at one time he had the the largest ministry in the world. Biggest television ministry. People loved him with all their hearts. And when he uh, got caught in some sin, he uh, he lost a lot of that. And you know, a lot of Christians fell away from their faith because of that. And that's a problem, for starters, because <laughs> if something, heaven forbid, ever should get a hold of me and you see me off course I hope it doesn't run you away from God I hope you just pray for me and get me restored but you know the call of God has never left that man's life it's written in heaven you see the problem he has now is is with people trust and, and that may never be restored but that's not God's will. God doesn't change his mind about him being a minister. But you see the damage that can be done. And the anointing. But people think in one way 
they heard that on the night Jesus was born, they remember the angels saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And they think, well, that's peace, world peace, you know. I love the John Lennon song, you know. Imagine, imagine there's no bad stuff at all, you know. This utopia here on earth. I do imagine that. And matter of fact, (laughs) I read about it right here in the last couple of pages of Revelation. But it's not until Jesus returns, you see. The angels didn't say peace amongst men. He said goodwill toward men from God. Here it is, a way back for you to me, is what he was saying. Relationship, vertical. The vertical beam has been restored, but not the horizontal beam. For Christians, the Christian life, there are two beams on the cross, vertical and horizontal. We're to love God and man. But this peace, this worldview, this globalistic dream. And you see, it's, they claim it's compelled by this motivation for love and peace. But there's so much hate involved in it. The devil always tips his hand, you see. So, because of that, every ungodly thing... Or group, everything that God opposes or calls an abomination has attached itself to that particular interest group or party or whatever you want to call it. It's a no-brainer. Look in Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-four. This is Jesus speaking. I'll back up to verse 32. Because I love... I want to back up even further. Because it's a the part Jesus... This is all Jesus. But he's talking about fear before that. So let me just go there. Back to the 26th verse. Jesus says, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed. I'm talking about the evil folks coming against you or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. See, Christianity is not a private affair. We are city on a hill, a beacon of light. Matter of fact, Yvonne and I, I, I pray that when we pray together every day. Lord, let us shine brightly as beacons of your light in a dark world. Proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think, listen, here's where I was going initially. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now that just slaps some people right upside the head. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a lot wrapped up in there. Jesus, his message is love. God is love. Amen. He's not telling a a father to be against his son or a mother against their daughter or anything like that. He's saying that's what's going to happen because of me. There are people all over this world who their enemy, as far as the the word of life, the word of truth, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of that, their their enemies are in the next room. You see that? You know, in their hearts, they're loving and praying for them. As long as there's life, there's chance. You see, if you, as you read the Bible, you begin to get the picture, hey, this isn't all about me. You cannot read the Bible and not come to that conclusion. 8,000 promises in the Bible, all for you, yes and amen, in Christ. Amen. No doubt. But it's, there's a, the, bigger picture, the bigger picture is about God, honoring God, serving God, about building the kingdom of God that will come. One day. And we'll be a part of it. We'll reign here with Christ for a thousand years. And then on to bigger and better things. Amen. Amen. But until then. God has enemies in this world. God has enemy nations in this world. There are spirits that control. You know. I remember when Daniel was praying one time. Remember he. he the, it took. It took a few weeks for for the angel to get there. And he says, from the moment you pray, God sent me. In other words, when when you pray, God hears your prayer. He says, but I ran into trouble on the way. I'll just summarize, okay? I ran into trouble on the way is what this angel said. And I had to call Gabriel. He came and fought for him against the spiritual forces that were opposing him in the heavenly realms. They did not want that message getting through. There's a battle going on we can't see, you see. And we're part of it. That's why I've been teaching on prayer for these last few weeks. Because it's so important. Because you're the ones... You know the president, they say the football they carry around, the nuclear codes and all that. You have the football. As a Christian. It's right here on your lips. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and gives life to this mortal body. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And when you allow Him 
to pray His will. When you pray, when you start seeking God, let me pray your will. You pray, He will handle all the things around you. David said, I was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. You get on about what God has for you to do. He may have you praying for something halfway around the world. You don't know. People say, well, I don't have time for that. i got to take care of Mike. You're more valuable than a whole bunch of sparrows. God knows everything you need before you ask, it says. So why do we ask? Because we want to honor God and we want to know, remember who to be thankful to when we get it. We want to honor God and we want to be thankful to God. We want to honor God and we want to be thankful to God. When when Jesus was there and they brought him a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Look in John chapter 8. And I want to just, you know the story. They brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. It was illegal. They didn't bring the man. If they're caught in the act, why didn't they bring the man? They're just trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. In this case, they were trying to, he was born under the law. The, the law was still in effect. And so if he came out against it, he could be killed for that, you see. But he was preaching love and forgiveness and acceptance. And it was hard to make the two line up. He had to be very wise while he was here. And so they came and they threw her down in front of him. They said, the law of Moses says she got to be stoned. What do you say? So here he was. He'd been telling all these people about love and forgiveness. And the law was still in effect and it was clear. And so this is where I told you the other week. I said, this is where we get our permission sometimes not to respond. Because the, the enemy trying to solicit a response from us that can trap us into something. You don't have to always respond. Many times I don't or won't. And it makes people mad. It's okay. Because if I don't hear from God, I don't care what I have to say. I don't care what I have to say. And I don't, I don't want them to care what my flesh might say. I don't know. I, if I know it's God, I'll, I'll go that way. But that's what Jesus did. He, he just looked down at the ground as if he didn't hear them. He heard them. He said as if he didn't hear them and he wrote in the dirt with his finger. And he was waiting. Waiting on his father. Waiting on the Holy Spirit. And he heard them. And when he did, he responded. And it was perfect. He amongst you who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all began to leave from the oldest to the youngest. But what I was getting at is this. Talking about the war is over. He told the woman. He says where... Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
Go, and from now on, sin no more. No condemnation. Instruction. But not condemnation. There's a reason I'm pointing this out. Back up a couple of pages to John 5.14. Or just hear me out. The disciples were young, immature. Worldly, you might say. Pretty carnal. And they had been rejected in a city that they went ahead of Jesus to proclaim His coming. And they came back and told Him that they had rejected them. And He said, I'm talking about Luke chapter 9, verse 55. Keep your finger on John 5. But... They said, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? In other words, they were going to, they asked Jesus, because he had already given them power and and abilities, a a special anointing to go and heal the sick and open blind eyes and so forth and so on. And so they were were digging this, right? And they knew the scriptures. They had been to church a little bit, synagogue. And they remembered in the Old Testament, Elisha had called down fire a couple times and and burn some people up from heaven, you see. Destroyed people. And they said, well, this is, has to be very appropriate now. Should we just go ahead and destroy them? And he said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. No. That's not the answer. Things have changed. People are familiar with the, the wrath of God from the Old Testament. And they still want to portray God as that God of wrath and vengeance and judgment. You can say what you want. He's not the one doing these things that are happening in the world. God will take all the things that the enemy meant for evil and use them for good if we allow Him. But Jesus said, no. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. People love the message of grace and the truth gets in the way sometimes. But God has not changed, but we've changed covenants. We've changed the written agreement. I love minister to lawyers although very few get saved but if they would just see this as a legal contract because God is a is a just God but he's also his nature is is mercy and forgiveness and so he had a problem because if 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 he was just if it was just justice if it was just the law then we'd all be dead So he had a problem and he fixed it with Jesus. But he poured out his wrath. He exhausted his judgment on Jesus on the cross. Jesus became sin. Every sin you've ever committed or ever will, he became that day. Until he finally said, My God, 
My God, why have thou forsaken me? He forsook him momentarily so he would never have to turn his back on you again. John 5.14, I was just talking about a minute ago, the same thing. He had healed a man and the man went and told everybody and and Jesus told him not to, but he did. But he said, verse 14, verse chapter 5, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. But look what he says. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. He told the woman, caught, go and sin no more. He told him, sin no more, so nothing worse will happen to you. He didn't say, or I'll do something worse to you, did he? Jesus never put an affliction on anybody. I can't find one. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil, doing good. It's the enemy that's doing all these terrible things. And there is protection in the Lord, there is blessing and favor, healing wholeness, restoration, peace, love, and joy in the Lord. But meanwhile, we have a world that doesn't know Him, and we need to help people to have a biblical worldview instead of a carnal worldview. And when we have exhausted our lives trying to accomplish that then we'll be with him whether he comes back here to get us if he if he wants if it's that close or if we go there first and come back with him you see this is going to be cool either way this nation was formed by godly men for the most part. You won't hear that in the schools anymore. And matter of fact, they've rewritten history and now they're trying to wipe out all memories of it, you see. This is always the first thing that happens anytime a communist regime wants to take place. And you see it you can say socialism, whatever. It's basically leading toward con- communism. But God is God has to be dealt with for that sort of regime to work. You see, because it has to become God. You see, when 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 they started voting, when they started giving people entitlements out of the government coffers. And getting them addicted to those things. LBJ, who was from Texas, but he was basically not a very good person. And he was a Democrat. But he said, I'll have those N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. Why? Because he was trying to get them hooked on the government And now, it's that's what they're trying to do more. They, you got you, widespread. You got people who don't want to go back to work. 
They've never made so much money. And they get to stay home. How can I make this, prolong this? Especially as long, especially till November. We don't want to be tricked. And really, we want to help others that are deceived, if we can. You have to pray for those windows and doors of opportunity because they're, they're few and far between. They think you're the one that drunk the Kool-Aid, you see. But it's really them. There were... Clinton Rossiter was a, a man who lived... Uh, he died around 1970, but he wrote a book called Seed Time uh, in the Republic. And it was a very acclaimed book, won a lot of awards. But he had a question. Where did these ideas that America came up with in this great Declaration of Independence come from? What was all this about? No other countries in the world were out there using these concepts that made America great. So he went about systematically trying to figure it out, trying to find out, to study, to see what happened. And what he came up with was it it all revolved around some people. Six people that he found, that he said, had profound impact on the effects of uh, the founding of this nation. And all of the six had... The same worldviews, four of the six were preachers. The Reverend John Wise was one of them. He lived in Massachusetts in the 1680s, 1680s, and until the turn of, after the turn of the century. But he, in, by 1687, he had preached a sermon saying, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Recognize that phrase? Way before. And by 1687, also a sermon saying, according to taxation in the Bible, it's clear that taxation without representation is tyranny. This came from the pulpit. Another sermon by 1687 looked into all the biblical forms of government. Monarchies, republics, democracies, etc., and determined based on biblical truths. This is a sermon. It's clear that God's preferred form of government is the consent of the governed. Sound familiar? <laughs> governed of the people, for the people, by the people. All three of those ended up being clauses in the Declaration of Independence. Because in 1772, over 80 years after he had sown these seeds of the Word of God into the, the new colonies, the Founding Fathers took his sermons and they reprinted them in a book which spread all over early America. It had several reprints. People were just eating it up. They, they were... It was helping people to renew their minds according to the Word of God or to, to think biblically about this new nation and about the government. 
So John Wise, he was preaching all this in the 1680s, and in 1772 it got reintroduced to America. And all these biblical ideas, four years later, ended up in the Declaration of Independence. Alice Baldwin, I'm just, I have some historical stuff here that I like to share because you don't hear it. Alice Baldwin was a scholar, amazing woman from Duke University. And she was the dean of the women's undergraduate university in 1926. For a woman, that was pretty cool. Until she retired in 1947. She fought for women's rights at the university, but she was a great historian. And she read probably, through her research, more of the old sermons than anyone in American history. And she was quoted as saying, There are 27 clauses in the Declaration of Independence, and there is not a single right asserted in the Declaration of Independence that had not been preached from the American pulpit prior to 1763. So by the time we get to 1776, the Declaration of Independence is just a summary of the sermons that had been going around the colonies through the church for the past years then the British attacked America they sent 55,000 troops and 28,000 sailors to attack us now that's pretty overwhelming odds for a little nation like we were when the fighting started though it was usually the pastor of the local church who was leading his congregation out to fight and defend themselves and their loved ones and the freedoms that God had given them. In the Battle of Lexington, it was the Reverend Jonas Clark who led 150 men from his church out to meet the British in battle. He preached a message. The Reverend John Peter Muhlenberg preached a message from the pulpit in Woodstock, Virginia and quoted Ecclesiastes 3. This is a cool story. Where he says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Then he took off his robe and was dressed for battle with his sword on his side. And he led 300 men from that church who enlisted and they became the 8th Virginia Brigade. George Washington himself asked him to take the position of colonel. <laughs> and then, and this preacher, his brother Frederick, was also a minister, and he, he didn't approve of what his brother was going along with until the army came and burned down his church, and then he, still, he joined too. <laughs> it wasn't uncommon, things like that, to happen. There were, when they came, there was... Oh, I'm going to get the, the number wrong. 
But in New York City, I think there were 39 churches and the English burned down the majority of them. They said that if it weren't for this black robe regiment, they call it the black regiment. It wasn't because they were black folks. It was because it was the preachers wearing the black robes. They called them the black regiment or the black robe regiment. He said if it wasn't for them, America would still be a peaceful English colony. What's happened? What's happened? There are a lot of aspects to the uh, to the culture, to the world in which we live, and we have to get back involved in that. There's a whole history, and I I got off on something else today, and so I'm not going to go through it. But the point is that it's always nothing happens in one day. This happened over years and years and years. Back at around the time of the Scopes Monkey Trials. You see, we took a black eye. We won the, we won the legal battle, but not the, the publicity war, you see. Things like that began to happen, and the church began to segregate. Separate. Well, we'll just not stay in public. We'll just, we'll just do our thing and not be so visible. Well, salt is never meant to stay in the salt shaker, was it? And we have to be involved because business is important. How business is conducted is important. Not everyone's a preacher. But I tell Christians, if you're working for a company, you should be... You should be headed to management if you're really a Christian. I mean, there are a lot of people who go to church. I'm talking about people that love the Lord and are trying to live by His tenets and let Him lead and guide them. Well, that's who needs to be in charge at that company, that office, you see. That's, that's the right person to pick for that job if they're really living it. There's a lot of worldly people that are just, they love, their, their God is their job, so they're going to be better at that job than than half-hearted Christians, you see. That's another story. The same with education, though. You see, there are there are bad things going on in our schools, in our universities. People are paying a lot of money to send their kids off to to get all the church out of them. And government, we need Christians running for office. More importantly, we need Christians voting for those who take office. If all the Christians would vote the Bible, we'd never have another problem in this nation. But they don't. And that's sad. It shouldn't be that way. When when our will, what we think is right, crosses what God says is right, we just need to give up our way and our will and, and agree with Him. Um, as my mom would say, I don't care if it hair lips the Pope. <laughs> Media, 
We need people in journalism. You notice Christian broadcasters, they, if, if some, if, uh, if somebody on, uh, on their side does something wrong, they report it. <laughs> you know, the, the news, people who used to be in journalism, they used to report the news. They didn't try to create it. And that's what we need. And we need that. We need judges. The judicial is very important. There are good things happening, though, in this nation. And I want you to know that because it's not reported. But God is, God is not worried. And, and He's not going to be left without a witness. And it's better to be a part of what He's doing than to get into fear and doubt and worry with the world. But there are kids being raised up all over this country who feel like God has put in their hearts to be judges when they grow up. These are the people that I believe will be on the Supreme Court and things like that. Good things are happening. They're going to happen for the next four and a half years for sure. As far as that goes. But we need to be praying in the help that is necessary God can raise up a man and he can do amazing things, but man, we should be doing our part too. Not that God needs our help, but in a way, he does. He needs the prayers of, of his saints, you see. We can't do anything without God. He won't do anything without us. So... Like I said, the church sort of stepped back from that time, the Scopes Monkey Trials, and then in what in the early 60s, 61, 62, they took, they took prayer out of schools. The next year, they took the Bible out. And then criminal activity among school-aged children and in the schools increased by 700%. There are states that have instituted faith-based prisons. In those prisons, some of you probably know the recidivism rate is something that is highly discussed, especially amongst ministers because they're always wondering how you can fix it. Well, this is the answer. It's almost 70%. That means within a couple of years, that person that gets out is going back. Almost 70%. In faith-based prisons, it's about 7%. If I was an atheist, why wouldn't I want faith-based prisons? You see, there were some men in the beginning of our nation that weren't quite Christians. These are the only ones you hear about in the media. Or they might have been borderline. But they agreed that without this, this Bible, and the values instilled in people by it, that none of this was going to work. So even if they had a problem calling Jesus God, or they couldn't quite 
get their analytical minds wrapped around it, they agreed that it was good. It was good for the nation. Matter of fact, they said if if godly people ever lost control and the people discovered that they could vote themselves great gifts from the government coffers, the democracy would crumble. And that's what's happened in every democracy in history. That's what happened even in the Roman Empire. Anyway, all that just to say we need to honor God and be thankful to God, teach others to do the same. We're not God. We need God. Yes, good things come from relationship with God, but it's okay to tell people, listen, you need God. Not to fix your life or make it better, but to exchange your life. You have to you have to die. Your will and your way and your plans have to go. You have to surrender to God and the alternative is grim, I assure you. Jesus said, go preach the, the gospel, but go preach the message of repentance and then acceptance. Without repentance, there is no justification. This world's in trouble. But we don't want to be the two out of the twelve. There were twelve spies sent into the promised land by Moses to search out the land and to, to get the lowdown on what was going on there, what they had to look forward to, the, the obstacles they were going to face, and, and, the, and the good things as well. What, ten came back with a horrible report. Oh, there's giants in the land. <laughs> we got to turn back. Turning back to God has never been an option. When he refers to Egypt, that means your old life, your old sinful past. A lot of them wanted to go back to Egypt, where at least they had this and that, and they got fed. Those ten that had the bad report, they died in the desert with all the rest of that generation that agreed with them. There are only two that had a good report. God blessed them, and they lived through... Those 40 years in the desert, they got to go in and see the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. We need to have the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. They said, yes, there are giants in the land, but God is on our side. The giants are big, but so are the grapes. Took two men on a pole to carry one cluster of grapes. They said, let's go. And then when Joshua, 40 years later, he was 80 years old, they were distributing the parcels of land in the promised land. He said, give me that mountain. I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. He had God working with him. Amen? Amen. So do you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us and that we know who you are and you know who we are what a privilege what an honor that we can come right into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need lord we pray for all those who doubt and we ask you to help them in their unbelief lord to strengthen their faith and give them the 
strength that they need to call upon you and to walk in faith and victory and peace and love and joy. And Lord, we just speak against all the evil that has come against our nation and against this world. We know that it's not going to be eradicated until you return, Lord, but we will continue to pray that we might do your will in the earth, which is good. We speak against coronavirus. We speak against fear. We speak against division. We speak against strife. We speak against all the demonic oppression and demonic influences over this nation. We break them right now in the name of Jesus. We cancel out every assignment of the enemy against us, against this church, against the VFW, against this state, against this nation, against our president. And we just thank you, Lord, for sending all the help. The harvest is plentiful, you said, Lord, but the workers are few. We, we pray that you'll raise up workers for the harvest. That you will begin to work in the hearts of these young people that are so bombarded with the, the negative aspects of this world view by, by the enemy. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak into their ears, that you would whisper into their ears and tell them that you love them and that you're for them and that you have great plans for them, plans to help them and not to hurt them, Lord, to give them hope and a future. There is hope. There is a future for our young generation. Being with you, God, is always good. We were born for such a time as this. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to do our part. When we see you, Lord, help us to hear the words from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever's left of our lives, Lord, take them and use them for your, your good, your will, your way. We know that you can do more in just a few days than we did in all the years prior. And we thank you, Lord, for making us usable. In Jesus' name, amen.